you've been journeying with us over the past month, uh, let's just like go back to Easter Sunday. It was, uh, Dave preached this amazing sermon on Resurrection Sunday, and he kind of just proposed uh, this idea for, for us as a church that either the resurrection of Jesus is this most monumental and powerful moment in all of human history, or Jesus Christ um, was the biggest liar. And I, I just love that Pastor Dave didn't like say, hey, this is what you got to believe. But I love that he said, hey, something happened. And then he kind of said, hey, everybody go and investigate it. And so then we as a church kept uh, kind of coming to this question of like, how do, what does it mean in the scriptures to embrace this resurrection life? And then a few weeks ago, if you remember, we studied about this idea of resurrection love. And so we opened the word of God and what we kind of was looking for is if, if we're going to step into the resurrection life and follow Jesus, what does it look like to love people like Christ? And, you know, we came to the conclusion as a church that, that loving people like Jesus isn't something that we just do on Sundays. It's actually something that we carry into our, our work. It's something we carry into our communities. It's something we carry into our friend groups and, and into our families and across dinner tables, Right. And then last week, I mean, last week was just this amazing, uh, amazing moment. Like last week, Brandon taught on um, stepping into the resurrection. We studied that in Romans 6, and we looked at baptism. And then after the service, we went to our prayer gathering. And at our prayer gathering, like people started getting baptized and coming to the Lord. That's something you can like erupt and not give a golf clap. Like that's amazing that people were getting baptized. And coming to the Lord, I'm like sitting in that room and I'm, and I'm looking around and, and I'm just praying. I'm going, God, don't let my heart become callous to the amazing things that you're doing at Ethos Church. Can, 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 like, can we just pray that? Like, like, God, don't let us become callous to the amazing things that you're doing. And, and this is the moment where you get on the edge of your seat. Like God is inviting you and I, people who don't have it all together, to point people to a God who is already in tomorrow. And I'm going, man, God was doing some amazing things. And so uh, tonight it's about continuing that conversation of embracing the resurrection life. And as we continue this conversation, I want to talk about stepping into a life of generosity. Now, as soon as I say life of generosity, I want to address two tensions that instantly I believe already exist in the room. The first tension is the spirit versus flesh. And, and what I mean by that is the natural versus supernatural. It's this moment that as soon as you're in church and, and you hear somebody start to talk about money or you talk about this idea of stepping into a life of generosity, everything actually inside of us, if we're sitting at the table and God is inviting us in, actually wants to push away from the table. And you go, well, why is that? Well, because the default of the human heart is selfish. It's not generous. You don't believe me. Throw a bunch of two-year-olds in a room. You can even take toys from like 1970. I don't even remember or even know what they were playing with, but you just throw them in there. And these two-year-olds have no concept of power, no concept of advancing in their social circles, no concept of a 401k or growing a big bank account. And it would not take very long before they do this. Give me, it's mine, right? Like the default of the human heart is selfish. And yet tonight, my, 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 my heart is just asking all of us as we jump into this text tonight, is that as we're sitting at the table, and I believe that God is here inviting us into greater generosity, that we would fight the temptation to push away and that we'd have an open heart to hear what he wants to say. The second tension I believe that exists when you're at church and you start to talk about generosity is someone goes, oh, here we go, another sermon about the church 
coming after my money. And I wanted to say, and, and this is just complete transparency, complete honesty. I became a Christian at 18, and for me, like following Jesus, the part that I didn't like was the whole generosity part. And so I just want to be fair and say, I've, I've said on both sides, meaning like 18-year-old Chris sitting in church, and they're like, hey, we're, we're going to feed the poor. And, and some of you go, oh, that, that's common sense. But for me, it was like, I, I didn't, it, it didn't sound fun to me. I'm like, I don't really like that. Share resources, I'm like, that, I don't, no, I don't want to do that. And then this idea of giving money, I was like, well, that's dumb. I ain't doing that either. And, and here's where, and, and here it was for me. So anytime on channel four or five or two or wherever you watch or a Facebook article would, would, would pop up and, and you would see like some church pastor and he, he corrupt, like he's corrupt and, and he used the church money for, for something wrong. For me personally, I was like, aha, like this is why I don't give my time and my resources and my money to the church. And some of you go, yeah, that's why I don't. And I want you to know I've been there. On the other hand, you fast forward, and a couple years ago, I started working at this church, and they came up with this idea, and I was like, oh, this idea is pretty rad. And the idea was, we're literally going to sacrificially give on a Sunday. We're going to take 100% of it. We're going to take some families that can't afford to put presents under their Christmas tree, and we're going to take them on a shopping spree through Walmart. Now, just saying, when you're sitting in the garden center, and you see these families coming in, and you're walking with them. It's real pain and real struggle, and, and you're throwing stuff in the car, and, and, and they're just walking, and you're loving on them and praying for them, and then being able to watch them walk out because they just encountered the generosity of, of Jesus' people, and then they're getting in their car, and, and, and cars that often I'm looking at, and I go, I don't know if they're going to make it home, like, like, and, and we're filling up their cars with presents. And they have smiles knowing that they just encountered the risen Lord and, and they're going home and, and, and knowing that when their kids wake up on Christmas morning, they're going to have presents. And I go, wow, like that's what it looks like when, when Christians with character and integrity give sacrificially. Now, I, you go, why would you even, like, where are you going? And this is just, once again, complete honesty, total transparency. If you're looking for a reason within the context of a Christian community to never be generous, I want you to know this. You will always be able to find some story of some church pastor with his hands in the church plate. And I say that to say this. That's why the Bible is very clear. It says we should test the fruit of our leaders. And so tonight, I just want to say, even Jesus amongst the 12 apostles one was still in money. So if you were like me at age 18 and you're going, this is why I don't give, all I'm asking tonight, if that's you tonight, all I'm asking is that you would have an open heart to see when God's people give with character and integrity the beauty of stepping in to a generous life. Is that cool? All right, let's do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. If you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 791. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and feel free to grab one off of one of the tables and take it home and keep it. It's yours. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's check out verse 1. 
And it says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Verse four, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Check out verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing you with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And there's two questions that I want to address, uh, like just from the text with two questions that, that we're going to work through. The first question is, is who is doing the asking? So if you like to take notes, who is doing the asking? And then the second question is what is being asked? So the first question, who is doing the asking? The writer of 2 Corinthians is this dude named Paul. Just to give you like the backdrop on Paul or the backstory on Paul, he was this guy who has a radical encounter with Jesus. And everything about his life changed from that moment. He stepped into the resurrection life. And when he did, what it looked like for him was planting churches the rest of his life. Well, the church of Corinth that this letter is to is one of the churches that he planted. And you go, why is that important? Well, it's important because I don't want you to think that Paul is like this televangelist. Like he's not like on the television going, if you'll just bless the church with $100 today, you can get a money and, you know, a car and all that other stuff. That's not Paul. Paul has had community with these people. Matter of fact, he lived amongst them for 18 months. He would have sat in their living rooms. He would have held their kids. He would have prayed over marriages. He would have probably uh, been a part of a lot of their house churches. He would have been a lot of discipling one-on-one. Like Paul had a lot of relational capital with them. So it should not be a surprise to us because of his relational capital when in verse seven, he goes, hey, you guys are killing it in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, but I actually want to challenge you in something else. Specifically, he says their generosity. And even more specific, he says with their money. And so as we talk about who is doing the asking, well, it's Paul. And then the next question we have to wrestle with is just to kind of understand the text so then we can start pulling out personal application is what is being asked? What is being asked? Well, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth with the purpose of getting them to participate in uh, sharing their money and their resources with the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing deep levels of poverty. And so think about it like this. You're you're a part of Ethos Church, and and there's a church, you know, many times that we've given to a church like um, in in another country, or and specifically today we're we're doing residents, and so we're we're trying to help residents. But imagine one of those residents, we send them out and their church needs money, but they're experiencing like deep levels of poverty. So Paul is actually writing to them saying, hey, your brothers and sisters are experiencing deep level of poverty and they need your help, would you be willing to share your money and your resources? And here's what's really cool about the text. And I don't know if you missed it, um, but we're gonna read it again. But before Paul like 
tells them like this kind of fundraising pitch, he actually shares a story. Because when he shares the story, what he's actually trying to do is connect the heart of, of the listener to what's actually going on in Jerusalem. And you go, why would he share a story? Well, well, God wired us to love stories. Like Jesus, this is the reason Jesus told stories. This is the reason like grown men wear Jedi costumes and stand outside Regal Cinema and wait for the movies. Like we love good stories. But if we're being honest, isn't there something really powerful about a story that seems to be true, that when it is true, it actually wrecks us on the inside? And Paul's about to, to tell these guys, hey, let me, let, let me tell you about real people with a real story who need your help to continue to tell people about a real God. Look back to the text. Uh, we're gonna start reading in uh, verse um, two. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. He's talking about the Macedonian churches giving to the church in Jerusalem at this moment. He's telling a story. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. He says in verse four, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Verse five, and they exceeded our expectations. And they gave first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God, they also gave to us. Now this is amazing. Because, and, and if I'm being real, this is probably my favorite part of the text all week. Because when I started looking at the Macedonian churches, it actually convicted me in really good ways. In the beginning, I told you it was kind of this moment of like growth for me. Like I'm reading this. You see, the Macedonian church was experiencing like the deepest level of poverty. As a matter of fact, like, like the, the, the Greek text actually points to them being like homeless beggars. And in the middle of this, they're, they're, they're experiencing deep levels of poverty because they're in a war-torn country. And any time they had something going for themselves, the corrupt Roman government would come in and plunder their people. And what's so amazing is I'm reading this text, and, and don't miss verse 3, because it says when, when their deep poverty collided with the resurrection life, it produced rich generosity. Verse 4, it says that they pleaded. That's that moment I go, Wow. The people that stand on the corners and, 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 and ask for money because of their current situation, the one thing that they're actually begging for is to participate in sharing their money and resources in advancing the kingdom of God in the city of Jerusalem to push back the darkness to increase the population of heaven. And I go, man, like I want to be like them. And this is the moment where I was convicted. And, and then I go, man, should I be surprised? And, and this is the moment where the Holy Spirit was like, no, you shouldn't be. Because there's something about when people see Jesus, the resurrected Lord, that their hands go from being closed to open. You know, a few years ago, about four years ago, Marcus Mariota, it was his rookie year. Some of you don't know who that is, Titans quarterback. And... This is when Titans were still terrible, but we were hopeful because we had a franchise quarterback. We're still debating on that. And, um, but we're headed to the Titans game, and I'm going with my uncle. And he had just became like a father with Jesus. And so when we're headed to the game, 
he comes up with this idea because I was looking super fresh in my brand new Mariota jersey that he wanted to get a brand new Mariota jersey. At the time, I was like single and still ready to mingle. I'm, I'm married now. Love you, babe. And, but at the time, I was like, man, he's going to look fresher than me. It was like my personal battle. But anyways, it has nothing to do with the story. So he gets this jersey on. And we go for the Titans, they lose, we lose heartbroken. So as we're walking on the pedestrian bridge, my uncle looks at me and he goes, God just told me to give this little kid my jersey. Now, just being honest, I was like, bro, that jersey brand new and it ain't gonna fit him. Now, Christianity 101, it probably is not good advice to tell people not to listen to God. But he looks at me and he goes, no, dude, God told me. And he takes off this jersey. Luckily, he had on an uh, undershirt. So he takes off his jersey and he goes over to this little kid with thousands of people. And he says, hey. And the dad's looking at him like, what's up? What's up? And, but he, he comes over and he says, hey, God told me to give your son this jersey. What happened? My uncle had met Jesus. I think about five years ago, I was right out of college and God had put it on my heart to start this Bible study in a coffee shop in my hometown. The idea was we're gonna gather for a summer in this coffee shop when they close, we're gonna buy it, we're gonna rent it, or not buy it, we're gonna rent it out, we're gonna invite people, I'm gonna preach, we're gonna worship, it's gonna be amazing. And, and my hope was that people would come to know the Lord, but specifically like some of my friends. But when you're right out of college and you're a pastor, you know, you're broke. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, you know, and I really struggled to put feet to the dreams because I just did not know how it was gonna work. Well, fast forward to the end of the summer, and I watch people encounter Jesus in that coffee shop, and I watch people get baptized in pools, and my favorite moment was actually baptizing my best friend since third grade in his bathtub, and as we're baptizing him, he comes up, and literally we're praying. It's me, him, his little girl, and his wife. And you go, whoa, I'm missing something. Well, what happened was this farmer in Kentucky Heard of a guy that rocked skinny jeans and tatted up and is passionate about Jesus, had a need. And he goes, hey, I might never attend there, but I'll actually share my money and resources. And I'm telling you guys, I, 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 how does that happen? How in the world or, or, or why is probably the better question. Why would someone who rides a tractor Monday through Friday want to share their money and resources with a church or a gathering or people that they would never worship with. And I go, it's probably because he's met Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, you go from closed hands to open hands. And this is the story of the resurrection life. Now, I want to be fair. You know, anytime I've ever heard a sermon on generosity, it is always about just money. And I believe that stepping into the resurrection life and stepping into greater generosity is so much more than giving a homeless person a meal or writing a check for someone to go on a mission trip. Like, it's so much more than just money and resources, but I actually believe being generous is also about being generous with our time. 
Now, I want to be fair to the text. We're not going to look back to the text, and the text is going to say, hey, you need to be generous with your time. But I do believe that when we look back to the text, we see a guy that because he was generous with his time, it allowed a church that was struggling to eventually receive some funds so that in the next season, they could get back on their feet. And so I just want to make sure you're seeing the shift. We were going talking about generous with our money and our resources. Now we're going to talk about being generous with our time. And then we're going to talk about being gener- or how Jesus is the foundation of our generosity. And so you'll kind of see the movement. But look back to the text. There's this guy, more than likely, would have lived in East Nashville, been super dope to, to kick it with, probably um, enjoyed ugly mugs. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Look at verse 6. In 2 Corinthians, we're introduced to this guy named Titus. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now scroll down to verse 16 on page 792. It says, thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on This is what we're going to focus on right here. And on his own initiative. On his own initiative. You know, if if we read it, we might miss it. But I think it's powerful. I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing that Titus, because he was willing to be generous with his time, with his life, he was willing to travel to different regions to gather money and resources from different churches so that he could have a big fund to go and bless the church of Jerusalem so that they could keep advancing the kingdom of God and pushing the darkness back. Now, some of you go, oh, well, that actually sounds pretty dope. Like, I could travel, I could take some dope pics, I could post them on the Instagram for like the Instafam, and, and yeah, that sounds kind of cool, but, but the reality is, like, he's traveling in a region that was ruled by the Romans, and being a Christian could get you killed. Now here's the question. Why would any man be willing to risk his own life and to be generous with his time so that he could help a poor church in Jerusalem? And I'm willing to bet that it's the same answer of why my uncle would take off a brand new authentic jersey and give it to a random kid he'll never see again. Why a guy rides a tractor Monday through Friday would be willing to fund a Bible study in the summer. Titus knew Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, there's something about our hearts that begin to be open to be more generous with our lives. You know, as I was doing this lesson, I started to reflect on the people who have had the most impact on my life and kind of what they have in common. Obviously, Jesus. Um, But I also started thinking about, man, it was actually people who were generous with their time. Like specifically, I think back to the first church I ever went to. And specifically, I think about this this family that was at the first church I went to. And and, and what they knew is, is at 18 years old, like... I was someone who couldn't stop partying, couldn't stop smoking weed, couldn't stop doing drugs. I could not figure out how to get a control on how to steward my sexuality in a way that honored God. And yet this family knew, and it's so profound to me, they knew that young Chris Malone didn't need more sermons. They didn't need to sit down with me and have more Bible studies. 
What young Chris Malone actually needed was for a, to, to, to be around a family who was radically in love with Jesus, and that would take them sacrificing their time and being generous. And so when I would miss on Sunday or Wednesday, my phone would ring and, and they would leave a voicemail. And every single time, it was almost the same message. Hey, God loves you. We love you. You were missed. God's going to use you to do great things. I think about every time I would go to church, they would take me out to eat. And if they didn't take me out to eat, they'd take me to their home and they'd cook me a meal. Same message. Chris, God loves you. God's working in your life. God's going to use you to do great things. I think about when I got busted for selling drugs, and that next morning, they were the first family that was there. Same message. Middle of my brokenness. God loves you. God's using you. You're growing. We can see it. And they would point to a future that I couldn't see. And they said, God's going to use you to do great things. When I had questions about faith, they'd stay up all night and answer every question, whether it was dumb or a really good one. When I had nowhere to go, they opened up their home and said, here's a room. You can have it. It's yours. You see, Titus, he was called to be generous with his time and travel the region. And he did it into the honor of the Lord so that the church in Jerusalem could get back on his feet. This, first, this family at the first church I ever went to, they were called to a broken 18-year-old kid who was passionately in love with Jesus, but he was trying to navigate, how do I break away from my sin? And they were generous with their time and opened up their home. And maybe right now, the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart and he's saying, hey, this is the part of the lesson where you need to grow the most. You need to start being more generous with your time. And so practically, maybe that means we start going out to eat with friends more. Maybe that means we start doing something we love and inviting people who don't know Jesus to come do it with us. Maybe that means inviting someone to go to the gym with us. Maybe that means inviting someone to go shoot hoops with us. Maybe that means going to a coffee shop and drinking the 100th cup of coffee. Like, whatever it is, I just believe that we as a church, we've got to start having this conversation. How can we be more generous with our time so that people can encounter God so that the population of heaven continues to grow and so that the people of Nashville begin to see that Jesus is not dead. You can go to the grave, but he ain't there because you ain't going to find him. He is alive and he is risen and he is moving. And I'm just asking ethos, will we begin to have the conversation? And so tonight as we begin to shift, I want to talk about Jesus. You know, Jesus is the foundation of our generosity. Jesus is the highest pattern of generosity. Look, look back to the text. We'll end in verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning though he was powerful, though he was almighty, though he was all-knowing, though he was all-wonderful, all-glorious. I mean, you kind of fill in the blank. Though he was the best part of heaven, check it, though he was the best part of heaven for your sake and for my sake, he became poor 
so that you, so that I, through his poverty, might become rich. What is that saying? It's saying that Jesus moved into the neighborhood of humanity. That's our neighborhood, planet Earth. Died a criminal's death on a cross so that anyone in this room or anyone on planet Earth in a moment, just by saying, yes, I believe, I want to follow Jesus, you go from being spiritually bankrupt to having access to the greatest part of heaven, which is Jesus, the greatest treasure on earth. You go from being dead, not, oh, I'm doing, no, dead, to being spiritually alive. And I go, man, this is the resurrection life. I know this is going to sound silly, but I'm a hip-hop guy. I love hip-hop. Some of y'all are like, nah, he country. Nah, I like hip-hop. Um, I was rolling in with my wife, and we were actually bumping hip-hop. That's how I got hyped from the sermons. But uh, some of you are like, what is that? I don't understand. Where's he going? Um, but like growing up on hip-hop, you know, as much as I loved it, you know, I look back, it's really shallow. And so because it was always, you know, what I was feeding my soul, I just was a person who was very selfish. And so I was always dreaming about like getting rich. I remember like hanging with my buddies and we would be like getting high and then half of the apps that are created, like we thought of, like should have jumped it. But anyways, and the Lord, <laughs> promise I'm going somewhere. I just used to like think about like getting rich and having the big house and and, you know, all the girls and, and all the stuff that, you know, honestly, rap teaches you. But when I met Jesus, as I said, I wanted to push back because there was a part of my heart that actually worshipped that. There was a part of my heart that knew, ooh, I love Jesus, but if I ever got that, I might just love it a little more. And I think it's interesting because as I met Jesus I, and I started walking with Jesus and I started being so close, like you could hear him breathe when you start being so close to God and he says, I love you and you're redeemed and you're made new. You start to want to tell people a little bit about Jesus and then you start looking at your finances just a little bit different and you start looking at your resources just a little bit different and you start looking at your time and how you spend it just a little bit different. And as I was walking with Jesus, I noticed that something in my heart was changing when I started going from dreaming of ways to get rich so that I could advance the kingdom of Chris to when I started dreaming of ways to make money and have resources and share my time so that I could advance the kingdom of God. And yet I go, this isn't just my story. This is a lot of our stories, but it's also the story of the scriptures. I think about in Luke, uh, I think it's like Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. This dude is so corrupt. Like he's a modern day gangster. And yet, he, he works himself to the top of his field? How does he do that? By being corrupt and cheating people and lying? And then one afternoon, he just has a meal with Jesus, and then he goes from being a lifelong taker to a sacrificial giver, and I'm like, what? what? It's Jesus. Think about in Luke chapter 8, some of the women that Jesus, like, healed their diseases and cast out demons because they had an encounter with Jesus. They gathered their resources and their money, and they were willing to share it so that they could fund the ministry of Jesus. And I'm like, there's something powerful about when you encounter Jesus, you go from closed hands to open. You know, tonight, I don't think it would be fair to not share the moment where God 
grew me the most this week. As I was coming up with this lesson, I was sitting in teaching team with the guy that introduced me, Soloway, and um, he said something that was so profound to me. He said, you know, Jesus wasn't saying like a nice parable when he said you can't serve two masters. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. He doesn't say you, you, you can't serve God and have money, just, just to be clear. But he does say you can't serve God and money. And I just want to repent to you guys tonight. Maybe, maybe as I'm saying this, some of you go, man, that's me, and so maybe you just repent with me. But I just confess that this little card right here, I'll turn it around so I don't want nobody to hijack my numbers, but no. Um, but this little card right here, sometimes it determines my peace. And that shouldn't be. Sometimes, depending on how much money is on here, determines on how I treat my wife. It shouldn't be. Sometimes, depending on how much money is on here, determines how generous I am in the kingdom of God. And it shouldn't be. And so tonight, I repent because I don't want it to be anymore. Because stepping into the resurrection life is about stepping into generosity. And when I follow the Lord, I want to spend my money a little bit different from people that don't. And so tonight, if you'll go ahead and stand with me, I'm going to close this out with a prayer. But I do want to talk about what next steps may look like. Here in a few seconds, as soon as I say amen, you guys are going to go to the tables around the room and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And you're going to take that cup and it represents the blood of Jesus. And he died on that cross for you. And so when you take that cup, know it is for you. And when you eat that bread, it represents the body that was broken. And I just say it again. That body was broken for you. As we navigate this conversation and taking next steps, I would just encourage that you would get with who you came with and start to ask the tough questions. What does my next step look like when it comes to the conversation of generosity? Maybe you go, man, I've never tied to a church because I don't trust it. Maybe that's your first step is tithing. Doesn't have to be a lot. Maybe it can be a little, but it'll be a big step in your heart. Maybe it's being generous to, to someone that you pass every single day and you've, you, you keep turning because you don't believe that one moment can change people's lives. Maybe the conversation that you'll have with the group is you need to learn how to be more generous with your time. <clears throat> Maybe your next step is you're sitting here tonight and you go, I want to become a Christian and I want to follow the Lord. We want to pray for you, we want to walk with you, and we want to journey with you. So if that's you tonight, come, come over to the Respond banner, and, and we'll, we'll walk with you, we'll journey with you, and, and we'll celebrate you. Because when people come home, God celebrates. And if God throws parties, I'm going to be throwing some parties. And I hope to be throwing some Luke 15 parties my whole life. Who's down to throw some Luke 15 parties their whole life, huh? Huh? Come on. Who's down? I'm going to pray. And uh, if, also, if you, need, if you need prayers tonight, come over to the Respond banner, and, and let's pray. Um, man, let's pray. God, I love you so much. I really do.
What does it look like, God, to be a part of a church that is radically generous that the rest of Nashville doesn't understand? One day I'm going to leave this earth, God, and I know it. Do push-ups, do sit-ups, I can be eat healthy, but I know one day, like, no matter what, I'm going to leave. And I can't take this debit card nor the money on it with me. I can't take my time with me because it'll be gone. And I just pray, Lord, that you teach us supernaturally tonight, God. Supernaturally teach us to be better stewards of our time on earth so that we can advance the kingdom of God. God, show us that we can trust you. Help us to have the faith to step out, God. We love you. We love you. Pray, God, tonight as we go to the tables, Lord, that conversations would begin to happen that would be healthy for our souls. God, I know that you want us to have souls that are healthy. Put fire in us, God. Put fire in us, Lord. Put a fire in us, God, that our Mondays can't put out. Put a fire in us, Lord. We love you. We trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.